Good morning, Mercy Culture. Well, it's good afternoon now, right? It's good to see everybody this afternoon. My name is Les, the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. And the vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And we do that through a process that we call MC Connect. And what, what our vision means is that we don't believe that uh, it's never been our goal, I should say, to just build a big church. It's never been our goal to simply have great encounters, corporate encounters with the Lord, but we do have incredible corporate encounters with the Lord. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's like this every week. It, it actually is like this every week. Uh, uh, it's like this every week. My wife said, I'm just going to stop doing my makeup. She said, I waste all this time, and it's just smeared all over, look like Tammy Faye Baker. Some of you just dated yourselves. All the young people are just looking at me like, who is that? <laughs> just Google it after church is over. But we have a process called MC Connect because we know that the Lord wants to connect with you every single day. He wants to encounter you every day. And we know that there's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with the Lord. And what that means is that we don't have to connect with God just the way that the lead pastor or the worship leader or somebody else connects with the Lord. But there are unique ways that God wants to connect with you and the ways that you find that you connect with him. When I was uh, a young man and uh, there was a lot of talk in the church world about quiet times. Anybody has been in church for a while ever heard the, the term quiet time? All this talk about quiet time. Go to your quiet time. Go have your quiet time. Get in the closet do your quiet time. You're supposed to sit down. You're supposed to put on some, uh, uh, I don't know, Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> open up. Open up. Open up your little devotional book. Read your devotional and spend a quiet time with the Lord. I said it this morning in first service. I'd rather gargle hot broken glass. That is not my way of connecting with the Lord. And so my connect with God really and truly suffered. And I was just telling somebody this this last week, just sharing my testimony of how passionate I am about connect with the Lord and how passionate I am about our vision because I didn't have daily encounters with God. Here I was in the house of God, leading in God's house, leading worship, doing things, and not having daily encounters with the Lord. And I became dependent upon coming to the house of God. I, came, I became dependent upon somebody else's relationship with the Lord to lead me to a place that I didn't know how to get to. But when storms come and when the clouds roll in and the visibility gets real low, y'all know what I'm talking about? The visibility gets low and you can't see the person in front of you and you can no longer depend on somebody leading you there. You've got to know how to get there yourself. You've got to know how to encounter God yourself and how to hear the voice of the Lord yourself. And see, when that happened for me, I would get knocked down and I would get uncomfortable and I would get shaky. And I wasn't built on a firm foundation because I didn't know how to connect with the Lord. We want to help you connect with God. Some of you connect with God in a quiet time. More power to you. As I get older, the more I connect with God in quiet time. Actually, one of my top ways now is through solitude. I still ain't listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman. It ain't that quiet. But I, but I connect with God through a solitude time. And, and I'm in a season where we're building a house. We're in a really small space while we do it. I got five kids and a wife. There ain't a lot of solitude going on in my house. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to have connect with God, and I hear little footprints. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I cannot get up earlier than 5 a.m. I got up at 4.30. Jesus said, go back to sleep. I'm not awake yet. Not really. But you find different ways to connect with the Lord. And in this season, God has been expanding the ways that I connect with God. I've been finding new ways to connect with him. Some of y'all connect with God through running. I, can you believe it? Listen, I'll just relax. Hold on. Listen to this. You're not going to believe this. There are people who run for fun. There really are. There are people who hear and connect with God by running. All I tried it. I tried it. All I heard was this. <laughs> Connected with 911. That's it. 
But we want to help you connect with God. Text the word CONNECT to 599 and you're going to get some links. It is the first step in getting connected to Mercy Culture Church, to learning about our vision, to learning about our culture, to becoming a part of this house. Don't be weird. Don't be a six-month visitor. If you've been coming for a while and you've been on the fence, nobody's going to make you sign your life away in blood. But text CONNECT and let's get to know each other. Go through that process. And I promise you guys, it is a life-changing experience. You watch the videos and then we have CONNECT appointments. This is unique at Mercy Culture. I don't know any other place that does this. More churches are, we're, we're giving away our system that we've invested so much into to help other churches develop this within their church. But after you go through MC CONNECT, you actually have a one-on-one one appointment. If you're a married couple, the both of you meet with somebody, one of our connectors. These are people within our community that we've identified as having a prophetic gift. They, they, they help you to develop a daily encounter plan, a plan to connect with God every day. And they pray for you and they give you a word and that word will change your life. I'm the pastor of this church. I went through MC Connect. Dariel, is he here? Dariel's not in here. But Dariel was my connector. And I, me and Nikki were like, you know, this would be great. And we already know all about it. I kind of helped Pastor Landon work on it in the early days and had, you know, input. I know what it's all about. So I go and I sit down and, hi, you know, what's my connect with God way? And it was two seconds. I'm not kidding you. He said, I just feel like the Lord said it was like one word. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't like, oh, it was the ugly snot. <laughs> right, that face shaking. <laughs> like, this is not what I expected. Connect with God will change your life, and I'm passionate about it, and I want you to learn how you connect with the Lord. We have some exciting things coming up. Our anniversary service is coming up on April the 16th. It is our one-year anniversary, April the 16th. Can you believe it? Mercy Culture Waco has been around for an entire year. It was not our plan to be in a tent, but it was God's plan. So welcome to the tent, everybody. But... Right out those doors right there is a building. We are currently under construction on that building. We got doors. Did y'all see the doors? I've never been so happy to see doors in all of my life. Yes, progress. We got doors. Things are moving along. The construction is really coming along, and we'll be in there in just a few couple of months. I want to be careful. Don't hold me to it. You know how construction works, but they're moving quickly, and we're so excited to be in the building, but our anniversary is coming up. We're going to have bounce houses and all the fun stuff, but we don't even really talk about that because it's going to be fun, but we're going to encounter the Lord. And I want to bring to God an offering of praise and worship for all that he has done this year. Has anybody had encounters with God in this tent that have shaken your life, that have touched you? Has God spoken anything to you in the last year? Have you received direction for anything in the last year? Have you been delivered of anything in the last year? Come on. So let's come in and just bring God our worship. And then we will have baptisms as well that Sunday. So I'm so excited about it. Our six-year-old came to us and wanted to be baptized. And I'm excited to do baptisms. So just text the word baptisms to 599. Fill out that form. Let us know so we can prepare for you. If you are new here, please text the word. It's a lot of texting. Same number, 599. Text the word new. And we just will get a little bit of info. Nobody's coming and knocking on your door. We're not going to bother you. We just want to be able to know you, connect with you. Um, and if you would like my notes this morning, you guessed it. Text the word notes to 59090. And everything that's in front of me will be sent to you. Let's go to the word together, shall we? I said, let's go to the word together. Somebody say amen. amen. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. I'm warming you up. It's heart for mercy. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, this is a story of David. It says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. We're not the only ones, right? And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Verse 4, but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. So David comes to the prophet, and he had just gone through this really traumatic experience of trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, back to the children of Israel. 
bring God's presence back to his chosen people. And I preached it a couple of weeks ago. Someone made a mistake and the, the cart was shaken and Uzzah reached up to stop it. And he was struck dead under the power and presence of the Lord. And David had to readjust and we'll get into that in a moment. But David's just gone through all of this and he's living in a beautiful palace in Israel. And he's looking around after all that David has been through, the sin, the mistakes, the triumphs, the failures. He's sitting in the palace finally, and he says, I am in a house of cedar, and my God is in a tent. He goes to the prophets, you have to, you have to let me build the house of the Lord, and Nathan the prophet said, go do whatever you want to do. God's favor is on you. And then when Nathan went back, the Lord said, hold up, not, not quite so fast. And the Lord began to speak to Nathan. The Bible says, in the night, God spoke to Nathan. And he told Nathan, I've never lived in a tent. I mean, I've never lived in a house. I've always lived in a tent. I've, I've traveled with my people throughout all of these years. I've followed them wherever they wanted, wherever they went. He goes through this this whole discussion about how he has followed people around in a temporary dwelling. And he says, but now you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. In verse 9, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And your house, verse 16, in your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever come to tell you this morning that God responds to your heart for his house with his heart for your house everybody bow your head and close your eyes and let's pray father we thank you for your glorious presence we thank you for the power and the glory that has rested upon your people this morning Father, I pray that that same glory, that same presence would not leave us, God. But I pray that we would feel the weight of your glory throughout this message. Father, I thank you that I have no pressure this morning because no one came to hear me speak. We all came to hear you. So God, I lay down at your altar today performance comparison and the need to impress i haven't come to impress anyone or i've just come to hear your voice and to speak what you say so i ask you lord speak lord your servants are listening we drive out every spirit but the holy spirit we don't make room for you in this service we give you the room lead this service jesus Speak your words, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You feel the Lord? I feel his presence here. The word of the Lord over our church in 2023 is dunamis. This is the year that dunamis goes from on us to in us. Dunamis means power to strengthen and to fortify. We see in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is how dunamis goes from on you to in you. This is the year of dunamis power. This is the year of power beyond your own ability. This is the year that we begin to realize that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. I'm going to say it over here. Maybe they didn't get it. I said the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead 
lives on the inside of you. I've got good news. I didn't make that up. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives inside of you. The spirit that sent Christ into hell to take the keys of death hell in the grave. The same spirit that broke the back of the enemy and the grip of sin over humanity lives on the inside of you and me. And he doesn't live on the inside of us because we're perfect. He doesn't live on the inside of us because we earned it. He doesn't live on the inside of us because we're so righteous and holy in our own selves. No, he lives on the inside of us because the blood of Jesus is so powerful and so strong and the blood of Jesus still works and his blood covers a multitude of sins and his righteousness is what makes us holy and worthy to walk with his dunamis power. Before we begin, I want to address a few things. This morning is Heart for Mercy. This is the day that we bring our offering to the Lord. We bring our very best to Him. So I want to address our visitors. If this is your first time visiting or you're new with us or you're not a member, this message is for you because the Word of God is for you. You'd have to be a member of Mercy Culture to receive the Word of the Lord. So the revelation and the word is for you, but I want you to know you are under no compulsion. We want you to feel no pressure, no shame, no guilt, no manipulation to give today. You're under no compulsion to give. This message is our gift to you. We want to welcome you. It is our gift to you. But this is the Sunday that we bring our best financial gift to the house of the Lord. If you've come to Mercy Culture very long at all, you've probably noticed that we never pass a bucket. We don't ever receive an offering. The people of Mercy Culture Church have been so incredibly generous. I want to thank you, Mercy Culture. You've been generous. You've heard the Lord and you obey. That's all we ask you to do. You obey the word of the Lord and you obey the Bible and what he speaks to you. And we don't receive, we don't receive an offering. We don't pass the offering bucket. If we remember to mention it at all, somebody gets up and says there are three ways to give. You can text, you can give online, you can give in the offering bucket on your way out or the offering receptacle on the way out, but we don't take time and service to receive an offering except for once a year, and that's this Sunday. Some of y'all said, oh, great. <laughs> this is the Sunday I chose to come. The Lord is going to move this morning, but this is the one time of the year that we receive an offering that we bring God our best. And an offering is not your tithe. Malachi 3.10 discusses the tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That tithe, the word tithe translates to a tenth part. It's very simple. It means 10% of your income belongs to God. Listen, tithe is not generosity. Tithe is giving to God what already belongs to him. If you think that you are generous by, by giving back to God what he says is already his, you're not, right? That isn't generosity. That's obedience to give him what belongs to him. Tithe is the prescribed method of the word of God to support the work of the ministry. Tithe is the method that the Lord uses to sanctify your finances in your home. And when you withhold tithe, you rob from God. But when you withhold offerings, you rob from yourself. The Bible says to bring the whole tithe, say whole tithe, into the storehouse. When I was studying that phrase whole tithe jumped off at me and I felt a prophetic warning for some of us this morning that some of you have been withholding a portion of your tithe and you've been given only a portion not 10% and you've thought that that partial obedience was obedience to the word and I want to warn you prophetically it is disobedience to God's word Matthew 23 23 we see Jesus he's talking to the Pharisees and he tells these Pharisees what sorrow awaits you. He says, you are so legalistic. And you are so careful to tithe every little tiny thing that you get in. If you, if you go out in your garden and pick some herbs, you give 10% of it to the house of the Lord. You tithe every little thing. 
He says, but I don't want you to forsake the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. So somebody says, well, great. Jesus said, I don't have to tithe. No, that's not what he says. Because the next part of that scripture says, you should tithe, yes. So if you were looking for somebody to tell you that you don't have a responsibility biblically to tithe anymore, just go on YouTube and Google it because you'll find a bunch of YouTube prophets that will partner with the spirit of greed and tell you that you don't have to give to God what already belongs to him. But Jesus said we should tithe, but our offerings are all gifts above the tithes. I said it earlier this morning, I want you to know that there are no games, there are no gimmicks, there's no pressure and no manipulation today. The Bible says for us not to give out of coercion or manipulation. This is why this is not the first time you're hearing about Heart for Mercy. We began discussing Heart for Mercy when we first launched this church a year ago. We introduced Heart for Mercy to you and the, the needs of this house back a month ago. And we asked you to go before the Lord to pray, to seek God, and Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. And we do that with intentionality because my goal is not to come here this morning and to swirl you into some emotional state and manipulate you into giving. Our goal is the same as it is in everything else. Hear God and do what he says to do. So while we do not want to manipulate or coerce or control you, I also refuse to give into the fear of man. And allow my concern for what you may think about a message on money to prevent me from delivering what the Lord has given to me to deliver. There's a reason why every Sunday before I preach, I pray the same prayer. Lord, I lay down at this altar, performance, comparison, and the need to impress. Because those are things that can rise up and be a challenge for me. Anybody ever feared man? Come on, has anybody ever felt like you're worried about what somebody else is going to think about you? And you're worried about obeying the Lord because what if my mama tells me I'm being foolish? And what if this happens and that happens? And how am I going to do that? And how am I going to move? And how am I going to give? And how am I going to respond in obedience to these things when other people are going to think this, that, or the other about me? But I refuse to give in to the spirit of the fear of man and not deliver what the word of God says. So this morning we just say no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. No spirit of mammon is welcome here this morning. No greed is welcome in this place today. And I'm going to preach passionately about this topic because the Lord has revolutionized and changed my life through obedience, through money. Why does God use money to test our obedience? I don't know. Don't you love to hear that from the preacher? You're like waiting. All right, what is it? I don't know. I, I, I really don't fully know other than money is a representation of our effort. Money is a representation of our energy. It is our mental and our physical energy that we have exuded. And people give us money for that energy. And money is a representation. So many of us put our trust in our finances. We put our trust in our income. That's how we're going to be fed. That's how we're going to be clothed. That's how we're going to send our kids to college. Right? And we put our trust in that. And God loves to shake our trust in anything and everything but in him. Anybody ever experienced that shaking of your trust? When I was younger, at first service, I said 21 years ago, my son gave me some feedback. He said, Dad, it was 23 years ago <laughs> when you were in high school. I said, shut up, you're grounded. I can't possibly be right. You hear my voice crack? I can't possibly be right. My parents are here. Imagine if I'm old. Anyways. I've got the microphone. But 20-something years ago, I was a senior in high school. And... The Lord had moved on my heart, and I, I had this desire to go to Bible college at this, at this Bible school in Columbus, Ohio. Can any good thing come from Columbus, Ohio? The cornfields of Columbus. Lauren said me. 
That's right. That's right. It was New Albany, actually. Indeed. So we were, I had this desire to go to this Bible school in Columbus, Ohio, and and I've been praying into it for, for years, a couple of years at that point, and, and uh, I felt like I was supposed to go to this conference that, that the church that housed this Bible college was hosting, and so I saved up my money, and it was a struggle, and I worked at Sears. <laughs> there, was, there was a Sears back then, and I, I worked at Sears. <laughs> I rode a horse and buggy to work every day. <laughs> my God. I worked at Sears and saved up all of my money, and and this was back when we had cash. Like, we carried around cash. I didn't have a credit card, a bank card. I probably did, but I kept cash in my pocket. I put all the cash in. I had enough money to pay the guy that I was carpooling with, who was also a kid and broke as me. And we barely had enough money. We had enough money to get the gas up there and maybe really, really economically find food, right? And we're sitting in the service the first night, and I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to give everything that you have in this offering tonight. It's about 7,000 people in that sanctuary. It's a big church. And I'm sitting there. I hear the Lord. I want you to give everything that you have in this offering tonight. And I said, oh, God. This person next to me, their spirit has bled into my spirit. And I'm hearing the voice of God for their life. I overheard the Lord speak to them. And I'm worshiping. I'm thinking, you better go up there. Did you hear God? This person has no fear of the Lord because he couldn't possibly be talking to me. But I hear the Holy Spirit again. I said, I want you to give everything that you have in this offering tonight. And so I did what any good 17-year-old would do. I took my money out, and I counted out how much money it was going to take me to get home. I took out the gas money that I already committed to the guy that I had carpooled with, and I put that in my pocket. I took everything else, and I thought, I'm not going to have any food. I'm not going to have, uh, there's going to be no fun. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to go back to the hotel room. I'm going to sit there. What am I going to do? I took that, and I very angrily marched myself up to the altar to give that money. Just, just slam the money down on the altar. Fine, I'll give it. Go back and sit down. I sit down, proud of myself for obeying the Lord, and I hear the voice of the Lord again. I said that I told you to give everything that you have. I said, God, I'm going to get stuck in Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Not only me, but the guy I rode with, because neither one of us got two nickels to rub together. How am I going to do that? I go back up to the, now I'm really ticked at this point. I go back up to the altar. I've got all of that money. I put it down on the altar, and there's the preacher on the platform. He's a fiery preacher. He looks down at me. He goes, you! (laughs) Get up here! I'm just shaking. 17 years old, get up on the stage. What just happened? Put the mic in my face. 7,000 people are looking at me like this. I tell him, the Lord told me to give everything in my offering. I give everything. And he goes, do you want to go to Bible college here? And I just said, yes. And he goes, I'm paying for all of your Bible college. And lays hands on I get up off the ground and I go walking back to my seat. And as I did, people just start giving me hundreds and hundreds of dollars, just giving me money. And so I took everybody out to Applebee's after church for half price appetizers. I said, you want some chicken wings? No, no, go ahead. Get the fried mozzarella. Get them. You don't want water. Get her a Coke. She wants a Coke. She didn't want water. I was living large, right? The Lord answered my prayer immediately, but that's not the story. It's not the sign of the obedience of the Lord because seven years after that date, I went to Bible college there, built relationships. I came back. I met my beautiful wife. We got married. We had our first baby. He's six months old. The Lord speaks to us. Go back to Columbus, Ohio. I want you to go work there. I said, what? (laughs) The cornfields of Columbus. We obey the Lord. We step out in obedience. Let me tell you something. That step of obedience cost a lot more than what was in my little wallet. We stepped out in obedience. We left, we left everything. We sold our home. We left everything that we know and loved. We get to Columbus on fumes, on a hope and a prayer and a dream. And the first Sunday we're there, we're sitting down, and this person had walked by me, this couple, and I told my wife, I feel like God, I don't know who these people are, but I feel like we're going to be friends and do ministry together for the rest of our lives. This person turns around, shakes my hand, said, hey, you're new on staff, so are we. Y'all want to have dinner? I said, yeah, let's do it. 
He comes in, he sits and he goes, I never do this, but the Lord spoke to me and said, we're going to be friends and do ministry together for the rest of our lives. That was Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather Scheidt. the founding pastors of Mercy Culture in Fort Worth. That act of obedience at 17 years old, giving the the couple of hundred dollars that was in my pocket, stepping out in obedience to the Lord many years earlier, has 23 and almost 24 years later led us to this place today, walking in the favor of the Lord because of an act of obedience. I'm going to ask you this morning to make sure that you have asked the Lord and that you listen to his voice and obey. We will give God our best today. This offering this morning, Heart for Mercy, is going to strengthen and fortify this house. We have $500,000 in needs. The graphic is going up and needs to fortify MC Kids, our sound system, lighting, LED wall, furnishing the building. How many of you want to sit on chairs that aren't plastic? Chairs that have a little bit more width. We fasted 40 days at the beginning of the building, at the beginning of the year, and as the weeks have gone on since the end of the fast, these chairs have gotten a little bit narrower, I've noticed. I'm like, wait a second. These chairs were wider than they were before. For landscaping, for refinishing the parking lot, we want to take this patio that's behind that fence and cover it and redo that. I have an area for small groups to meet and places to build community, interior signage. There's a lot that needs to be done, and we are strengthening and fortifying this house through this offering. The end of the service today, I want you to come and bring your offering to the front at the end of service, the only time of the year that we do this. But even if you've given online, even if you've given your heart for mercy already, take an envelope that's sitting in your seat and bring it as a point of contact. Bring that envelope as a family. If you're an individual, as an individual, and sow it this morning and come to the altar and we're going to worship the Lord and give together. I'm going to recap the prophetic words over this house for this year. We said that every act of obedience this year was going to strengthen you and your family. We said that 2023 is a year to serve. We heard in our spirit, when you build God's house, he will build yours. We heard that the Lord is going to give us power to gain wealth. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 said, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Heard a warning from 2 Samuel chapter 6. This year, sacrifices are made and not missed. And that even past promises that you made and didn't fulfill, you will have the strength to go back and keep those promises. This is the year that doors to the city of Waco will be flung opened. This is the year that we become a force to be reckoned with. This is the year that God gets our best. We are giving God our best. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, say best part, of everything that you produce. That word best in the Hebrew is the word reshith. It means beginning, chief, first fruits, the principal thing. It's a substance. It points to capital increase, revenue. Another translation says, honor the Lord from thy righteous labors. So what does it look like to give God our best? The standards of giving your best are the same for everyone, but the expressions of our best are different for everyone. I heard a testimony this week from one of our serve team members that even in their own life, they saw this play out. The standards are the same, but the expressions are different few years ago, they were part of another church who had a similar um, offering each year to ask the Lord to bring your best. And they were praying and asking God, and it was a season of their life that they were struggling financially. They had very little. And the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, I want you to give $27. And as they were telling me this testimony, they said they just wept before the Lord. It was so difficult because it seemed like such a small, insignificant amount of money. But it was a sacrifice, and it was the best for that season of their life. And it took great faith to step out in obedience to just giving $27. This year, the God, God spoke to them to give a much larger offering. 
And they were believing God, and he provided miraculously the funds needed to fulfill and walk in obedience to what God said. But they told me that it took more faith to give $27 than to give the large offering that they're giving this year. Your best is not about the amount that you give, and your best should not be compared to anyone else. Your best is obedience to the Lord. Obedience is the standard. And obedience to God always requires faith. Listen, if it doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 says, anything that is not done in faith is sin. Obedience to God requires you giving him your best. We see in Genesis chapter 4 the story of Cain and Abel. Most of us heard this story as little kids. The story of Cain and Abel. We know that Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He kept livestock. And Cain, a worker of the ground. And verse 3 says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn, or the best of his flock, and of their fat portions, so he brought to God the best of the best. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why have you lost your joy? Why has your face fallen? And later on, it says, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. You see, the offerings for Cain and Abel were different. Cain was able to offer to the Lord the fruit of his field. That was the fruit of his labor. And Abel was able to offer to the Lord meat. He was able to offer to God the meat of his livestock, the firstborn, the choicest cuts of meat from his livestock. It wasn't about the offering that they brought to the Lord. It wasn't that one was meat and one was vegetable. It was the heart posture of Cain. We see it reflected in verse 3. It says that Cain gave in the course of time. Cain's offering to the Lord was an afterthought. Cain said, I give when I feel like it. There are many of us that are in this room this morning that respond in obedience to the Lord when we feel like it. We plan our giving based on our calendar and our schedule and based on what we can afford and when we feel like it's best to allocate our resources to this area. We give in the course of time. I'll give when I feel like it. But Abel said, no, I'm going to bring to God my first fruit. Not only my first fruit, but the fat of my first fruit. The best of the best I'm bringing to God. He said, I'm not going to pay my bills and decide and divvy up my harvest and take care of my responsibilities and then look at what's left over and say, ah, when I get to it in the course of time, I'll give to God depending on what I can afford. He said, no, I refuse to do it. I will honor the Lord with my best and my first. And because of this, God, the Bible says, regarded Abel's sacrifice. That word regard in Hebrew is sha'ah. It means steadily, with interest. In the Assyrian language, it means to behold, to look for, to pay attention. The NIV translates it as favor. The King James Version translates that word as respect or honor, and the message translates it as approve. So Abel had the favor of God, had the honor and the approval of the Lord. And Cain had no favor, no honor, and no approval. Favor from God is determined by how you give to him. The intentions of Cain's heart mattered to God. Some of us this morning need to understand that if you want to grow in generosity, you must grow in stewardship. I want to pastor you for a moment. 
There are some people here today that are unable to bring God their best this morning because you have not been a good steward. And I don't say this to bring shame upon your life. I don't say this to bring guilt or condemnation. I say it to say today you can begin to shift that thinking. Say, Lord, teach me how to steward well. Because you cannot begin to look at other people's best and compare it to what your best is in this season. Or else we will fall into the trap of having a covetous spirit. We cannot give God our best with a covetous spirit. What is a covetous spirit? Well, it's the same spirit that Cain was walking in. The covetous spirit says, I want what they have. Covetousness is not even envy. We've all heard the the age-old idiom or the, the, the story of the grass is always greener on the other side, right? We know often we look at our neighbor's houses. Man, I wish I had a house like that. I know I just got a new house, but I like their front porch and I really like their screened in back porch and they've got a better master bedroom and their bathrooms are remodeled and I wish mine looked like this. And, I, and people have envied what other people have. And sometimes Envy, even though it's ugly, it can drive people to work hard. Man, I wish I had a house like that. I'm going to work hard and go out and earn and buy myself something like that. But covetousness doesn't say, I just wish I had that. A spirit of covetousness says, I want to take from them what they have earned. It's not fair that they have that. I want to take it from them. Today, we live in a culture that has embraced a covetous spirit. We went from an American culture that said, ah, they emulated people that were successful. Our culture looked at successful people and said, if I work hard and I play by the rules and I do what's right and I study hard and, and work, I can attain that level of success. To today, we look at people in our culture with a covetous spirit. We become angry with them, like Cain became angry with Abel. Cain had an opportunity to go back and search his heart and say, wait, Lord, what did I do that didn't please you? Let me search my heart and let me come back to you with my best gift. But instead of that, he coveted what Abel had and he killed Abel's future. Instead of examining his heart and bringing his best, he took the legacy of Abel. You need to be aware that covetousness is a principality over this spirit over this city it's one of the chief spirits over our city and that's why we often pray and lift up the spirit of generosity and gratitude over the spirit of covetousness we refuse to come into agreement with that spirit there is a lie of the enemy that covetousness will speak to us that says, I thought I could be generous in the future by withholding my generosity today. It's this idea that if I withhold my best today, I can give my best tomorrow. If I withhold what's in my hand today, I can build legacy for tomorrow. But this is mammon. What is mammon? Well, Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is wealth, or profit, or injustice, or unjust riches, the God of riches. Mammon is the spirit that rests on money. Mammon is when you love money more than you love people and more than you love God. Mammon is the heart of greed, and greed keeps you from giving your best to God. We see it in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira are, they have a piece of property, and they have committed to the apostles in the New Testament church. They said, we are going to sell this property, and we're going to bring and give to the house of the Lord our best. And their best was the proceeds of this property. And Ananias comes to Peter, and he brings to him what he said was the proceeds of the sale of this property. And Peter knew in his spirit that something was off. He knew that he wasn't telling the truth. 
And he said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds for this land? Peter told Ananias, he said, man, this land was yours. You didn't have to give anything. It belonged to you to do whatever you wanted to with it. And when you sold it, the money that you made also belonged to you. You came and said, God instructed us to give our best, which was the proceeds of this land. And now you are lying. And Peter said, you're not lying to me. You are lying to the Holy Spirit. And when he said that, the Bible says Ananias dropped dead. He breathed his last. And then, I love this, it says, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And I thought that sentence probably didn't need to be written. It's like, duh, right? Like if somebody came to the altar this morning and said, I'm giving everything, and I said, well, wait a second, are you sure? And then they just dropped dead. Do you think we would need to explain that great fear would sweep across the congregation? No, that's a given. Great fear swept across all who heard of it. Withholding your best from God removes you from the presence of the Lord. Genesis chapter 4 says that then Cain went away from the presence of God and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The result of withholding your best from God is a loss of joy, a loss of relationship, a loss of intimacy, and a loss of legacy. What is legacy? Legacy is the long-lasting impact of particular events actions that took place in the past or of a person's life. I like to put it this way. Legacy is simply what you do that outlasts you. Genesis chapter 4:10. This is after Cain has taken the life of his brother. God calls to him and says, "What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground." But the actual translation of that word blood is wrong. In the Hebrew, they use the plural. That word is actually bloods. The Bible says, the voice of your brother's bloods cries out to me from the ground. In the Jewish tradition, the rabbis teach that what the Bible is telling, what God is telling Cain is not only did you unjustly murder your brother, but you murdered all of the generations to come. You took his legacy the generations that were supposed to come from Abel, you have robbed because of your greed, and because of your refusal to give God your best. Giving our best blesses the Lord. We see it in Mark 12, the story of the widow's might. Jesus is standing at the altar in the synagogue, and he's watching people bring their offerings to the Lord. And in this day, there were wealthy people in the synagogue, and they made a great show they bring tremendous offerings down to the altar. And Jesus was watching them place these large sums of money. And then he sees the widow come. She places her mites, just a few cents, into the offering. And it moved the heart of the Savior. In verse 43, he tells his disciples, come here. You've got to see this. He said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing in the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Your best is not determined by how much you give. Giving our best pleases the Lord. When the widow gave her best, it moved the heart of Jesus. Ryan, if you would, come up. Just begin to play. We see in Matthew chapter 26, most of us have heard this story, the story of, of the alabaster box of Mary who begins to worship Jesus. And before this scene, we see in another gospel that her sister Martha has been working so diligently to take care of Jesus. Martha was the one that was doing all the cooking and cleaning. She was going and getting the chips and dip because I know Jesus had chips and dip. I know he loved queso. 
She was getting everything together and she was working hard and she was cleaning up and she was serving people and she was exhausted and she was tired and she told Jesus, Jesus, I am serving you so diligently. Would you please tell my sister Mary to stop being lazy? Get up and to help me. Jesus said, oh, Martha, you're missing the whole point. And we see this scene that Jesus is sitting there with his disciples, and here comes Mary. And Mary has this alabaster box the Bible describes. And if you don't know about this alabaster box, you may wonder why this story is such a big deal. So what she poured perfume on Jesus. I mean, I know perfume's expensive, but no, the Bible says that this alabaster box was about a year's worth of wages. Imagine buying perfume so expensive that it cost you a year's wages and you just pour it on the ground on the feet of Jesus and waste it all. But there's something of even greater significance to this alabaster box. You see, tradition tells us that upon Mary's birth, her family would have all gotten together. They would have saved their money, her parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, relatives, giving money, all of them contributing everything that they had so they could gather enough funds to buy this alabaster box and give it to their daughter upon her birth. Because that alabaster box was intended to be the dowry, the way in which she would obtain a husband. That alabaster box was supposed to be what she used to anoint her husband upon her marriage. That alabaster box represented her future. It represented her legacy. It represented the pathway to having children, to building a home, the foundation to her entire life. And she wasted it all for Jesus. She brought him her best. She said, God, I am giving away my opportunity for a future. Understand that 2,000 years ago, if a young woman was unable to get married, she had no hope. No hope of a legacy, no hope of a future. She would be a pariah living off of whatever anybody gave to her out of the goodness of her heart. And she gave it all away just to anoint the feet of her king. What was Jesus' response to her wasting her future, her insurance policy. We see it in verse 13 of Matthew 26. He says, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached in all the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus' response to her giving away her legacy was to give her a legacy that she could never have built on her own. You see, Martha gave out of her present energy, but Mary gave out of her future. The result of giving God our best is God building our house and our legacy and our future. We see it back in our story in 2 Samuel, the story of David. I just preached this message for Dunamis Part 2 just a few weeks ago. David is bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God, the lifeblood of the people of Israel has been stolen from them by their enemies. And David goes and he gets it back and he's bringing it back into the present, bringing it back into Israel. The Bible says that he loads the presence up onto a cart. He finds the most efficient way to bring God's presence back. And he puts it on a cart 
where it was never intended to be carried. And he brings this cart in the most efficient way possible back into the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 6, verse 5, that they come to the threshing floor of Nacon and the oxen begins to stumble and the cart is unsteady. The ark becomes unsteady and Uzzah puts out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he died there beside the ark. So David has been through it. David has fought these battles. He has finally acquired God's presence again and he bringing it back in and his friend is killed by a mistake that he made and the Bible says that David even became angry and confused and frustrated and he goes back he says Lord what happened see the ark stumbled at the threshing floor the threshing floor was a flat place that they would take their harvest of grain and they would lay it on the, the ground and they would beat that grain until the grain would fall off of the stem. They would thresh it. The threshing floor was a place of offering. David was bringing God's presence to the place of sacrifice, but no sacrifice was given. And David learned his lesson. We see just a few verses down in verse 12. That he begins to worship the Lord with all of his might. He said, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to hold on to my dignity. I'm not going to hold on and try to control God's presence. And try to control what I give to God and what I don't. I'm going to give to him with abandon. And he strips off all of the things that represent his place. He strips off all of the things that represent his legacy. And he strips down to his undergarments. As a servant, he begins to dance. The Bible says he worships God with all of his might. And every six steps, they stop and they sacrifice a bull before the Lord. Can you imagine that scene, the pandemonium? You've got bands and singers and worshipers. and The king is dancing and they're killing a bull every six steps and burning it and sacrificing it to the Lord. It was it was pandemonium because God's David stopped worrying about anything he's dancing with joy because he had given God his best and then he gets the ark of the covenant into the city of Jerusalem and he says God I live in this house this beautiful palace of cedar and your presence is in this rickety tent David had a heart for God's house. Uh, it's, 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 it's almost like it was heart for mercy Sunday in Jerusalem. And David said, I want to build your house, Lord. He goes to the prophet, I've got to build the house of the Lord. And what was God's response to David's desire to build his house. God's response was, I will build your house. God's response was, I will build your legacy. God responds to a heart for his house with his heart for your house. What I saw in my spirit this morning, or this week as I was praying into this morning, I saw some of us holding on to what was in our hand with so much fear. We even said, 
Some of us have even said within ourselves, I can't release what's in my hand financially, my energy, my effort, my heart. I can't release it. I can't release it. What will it do to my future? When all along the answer is to release and give it to the Lord. Before we bring a dollar to this altar this morning, before we receive this offering, there are some of us in here today who need to bring God our best by bringing him your heart. When every eye closed, nobody looking around. Every eye closed. Listen, I know what it's like, whether you've never served the Lord or maybe you've been in church for many years. Maybe you come every single week, but your heart has grown cold to the Lord. He is calling you this morning. Saying, I want you to bring your best, bring your heart to me. I want you. I want your future. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar if that's you. Just bring your heart to him. Kids, if you would, come up. I've asked the MC Kids team to bring a few of the children in here this morning. I had a vision of our kids, our legacy, our future lining up to prophetically receive this offering this morning. That as we gave our best, that God would establish our legacy in our house. I want to read this over you today. Psalms 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord protects the city, its watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for bread to eat, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Children are indeed a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts the enemy at the gate. Everybody stand to your feet. Let's close our eyes again and ask the Lord. Did you hear from God? Ask yourself, have I heard from the Lord? Ask yourself, are you ready to obey what he has spoken? Finally, Lord, is this my best? As you give, I heard the Lord say that he's going to reveal to you his heart for your house and business. Some of you are going to see businesses that God is calling you to start. He's going to reveal his heart for your house through real estate. For some of us, he's going to break the spirit of poverty off of you and your family. For others, he's going to reveal your future spouses. God is going to speak to you about the person you're called to marry. And finally, this morning, I believe God is going to heal wombs. And children will be birthed because of your obedience and because of your heart for the house of the Lord. Just lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord.
Come on, lift your hands and begin to worship the Lord. Come on, let's minister to the Lord this morning. Father, we worship you. one of the ones that say Les, my heart is burning for the Lord my heart has grown cold towards him but I feel the embers begin to burn again if you feel God drawing your heart this morning this is not something we've typically done in heart for mercy but I felt like the Lord wanted your best in your heart first so if that's you, come to this altar. Come on, don't think about it. Don't worry about who's on your left. Don't worry about who's on your right. Don't worry about your spouse or the person that you came with. If that's you, just come down. Care less about what people think and more about what he thinks. God, we want to give you our heart this morning. More than anything, we want to give you our heart. We want to bring to you our best today, Jesus. 